if you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the book of Ruth. Ruth, if you're new to the Bible, is going to be in the Old Testament. Uh, you could find the book of Psalms, and then, and then you're going to find Ruth right around the middle of your Bible. Ruth's a small little book, such an amazing um, romantic story that we're going to look at tonight, and I'm really excited because this is a, a great time of year where, where romance just tends to be happening, right? And I remember it was about this time of the year, um, 14 years ago, that I was kind of a little bit in a, a, a quandary of what I should do and what I shouldn't do if, if we're just now meeting. I've been married for 12 years to the love of my life, Chelsea, and we had a conversation about 14 years ago, um, and, and it was last week, 14 years ago, that kind of went like this, I need to know what we are. And we sit down and we start having this conversation, and I was in a little bit of a quandary because I haven't really seen up to this point relationships done right. And, and I was in a season where I was seeking to be God's man. I was trying to be the right person, and, and Chelsea, like, she, she was the right type of woman, it was in the right season in my life, and I, and I wanted to go about this relationship the right way, but I just really hadn't seen relationships done right, and so there was a, a lot of anxiety that was stemming up inside of me, and like, what should I do? How should I respond in these moments? Don't mess this thing up, you know, and, and I share that with you tonight because I think a lot of you have come in here tonight, and when it comes to romance and relationships, you probably haven't seen it done right either. And you've come in here because I think that you're trying to find the right person, you're trying to be the right person, and you're probably here tonight because you're wanting to go about it in regards to romance and relationships, you're wanting to go about it the right way so that you find the right marriage someday if you're seeking marriage. Because no one wants to be in a marriage and be like, man, I think I messed this thing up, I'm in the wrong marriage, right? We want to make sure that we get that thing right. And then we come into this time of year, and, and this is the time of year where Mariah Carey resurrects every year, you know, so we listen to that song, right? It's like, hey, welcome back, Mariah. And we hear that song, all I want for Christmas is you, and then we have all of these other lyrics and all of these other songs this time of year that just kind of bring up a lot of expectations in our life romantically. And, and we're in this series, like you, you heard earlier from Luke, called Lyrics and Lies, and it, it, the Christmas edition, and we've been looking at these Christmas songs that kind of, that kind of swell up some things inside of us every Every year, like like maybe some of y'all have heard this song right here. I don't know if you heard this one. That Bieber love ride in the mistletoe moment. You want mistletoe and magic. You want snow and snuggles. You want it all just to flow right, right? And you've come in here and you think, man, if I could just find my my my, my man, or if I could find my woman, it would be amazing, and I could buy Christmas gifts for somebody. And or maybe when it comes to relationships, you have a little bit more of a perverted view that that maybe has been informed by songs like this one. So that's the John Legend version, and y'all know, baby, it's cold outside, and, and uh, you know, hey, brother, hey, hey, just go home, all right? <laughs> just go home, okay? She's trying to tell you, go home, all right? Anyway, and so we have these ideas around uh, our, our, our culture that inform the way that we do relationships, whether we like it or not. But we come in here tonight to look at God's Word, and we don't want the culture to inform the way that we do life. If you claim to be a follower of God, we want the Word of God to inform the way we do life. And these, these messages, oftentimes, they conflict with what God says in His Word, but then there's other times where it complements what God says in His Word. And we hear these songs, and the basic narrative of these songs is that you, you want to find Mr. or Mrs. Right, and you want to fall in love, and everything's going to be all right, and, and you can live like this, this, this Hallmark Christmas movie life, right? Y'all know the Hallmark Christmas movie life? If you haven't seen a Hallmark Christmas movie yet, uh, let me just break down every Hallmark Christmas movie for you real quick, okay? Within the first 10 minutes, you're going to find Mr. and Mrs. Wright. They're going to meet each other. You can predict that they're going to fall in love. You're going to figure out that she's from out of town, like probably like a, some sort of marketing executive or, or maybe a recent widower because her husband died at war. And she's come to this country town, and she meets this guy, Lumberjack. His family owns a Christmas tree farm. 
Anyway, and he's very established, and then within the first 60 minutes of the movie, there's been that, that point of no return where they've locked eyes. She's met his boisterous, loud family. There's snow falling in this moment, and they have had this conversation that has defined their relationship for eternity. Then within the last 30 minutes of the movie, there's some sort of antagonist that comes in. Could be an ex-girlfriend. It could be somebody that's trying to cause some problems, but they quickly resolve the issues. And then by the end of the movie, there's Christmas carols. The town is united. The dog's frolicking in the snow. There's all kinds of happiness, and they live happily ever after for the credits to flow like a waterfall so that the next movie that repeats the same logic comes on, right? Y'all seen the movie, right? And we come in here, and and, um, listen, that Hallmark theology isn't all bad. The acting, it is. Uh, Let's just be honest with that, okay? Um, But but the Hallmark theology isn't all bad. Like, like, let me just shoot you straight. Like, if you're seeking romance in, in a relationship, Like, God wants you to be the right person, find the right person, date the right way, and have the right marriage. Like, like God, he invented marriage. If you're taking notes, I've titled this uh, message, Hallmark Theology. Hallmark Theology. Here's what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see that God wants you to be the right person, find the right person, date the right way so that you can have the right marriage. And and we're going to look at this story that's like the, the OG romantic comedy from the Bible, and, and this story, it's, it's an amazing story that's tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament about this couple that, that they fall in love and they have this, 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 this happily ever after moment. It's like the, the original rom-com between Ruth and this guy named Boaz, and, and the way that this romance starts is unlike a lot of romances, it starts with tragedy and death. That we find out early on in Ruth chapter one that, that there are these three widows that, that find their lives being very, very interconnected. And, and one is the mother-in-law, and she had two daughters that had married her sons, but everyone died. The, the husband and, and the, the, the mom's sons, they all died, and they find themselves sobbing and weeping and trying to figure out what they're going to do with life. Naomi, she's the mother-in-law, and she's not from Moab is where they're living at the time. She's actually from a little town called Bethlehem. And she says, hey, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem because I think that I can have a better advantage at life. Because back in the day, if you were widowed, it was really, really difficult for you to make it in life. You, you needed family around you. And this woman, Naomi, she was living in Moab, but she was from Bethlehem, and she didn't have any family. And so she went to her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and she said, hey, I'm gonna go back to my, my country of origin. Y'all should go back to your family. And there's just like all of these tears, and, and Orpah, she takes Naomi's advice, and she goes back to her family. But Ruth, interestingly, she says, look, I'm not going back to my family. You're my family now. And she says this in Ruth chapter one, starting in verse 16. Ruth says to Naomi, she said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. She says, wherever you will go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God, notice this, will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to, to go with her, she said nothing more. So the first wedding I did in Missouri was several years ago, and they asked me to use this text to, to do their vows. Like this text is such a, a, a quoted passage at weddings, and it, it's, and, it, and it just oozes of loyalty, right? And you read this, and you're like, man, what an amazing statement that Ruth makes to Naomi. But what, but what I want you to see tonight is this, uh, this declaration of faith in God, like we all want a romance for most of us, and we are, we are all seeking relationships, but, but make, it, make no mistake, God is far more interested with you having 
a right relationship with him before you find Mr. or Mrs. Right. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Point number one, be the right person. Be the right person. Uh, Ruth, she looks at Naomi and she says a lot of things, but one of the things she says is she says that your God will be my God. Like she's drawing a line in the sand and she's making this, this, this irrevocable covenant to chase after the God of Naomi. And that's the God that we serve today. And what she's saying is that I, I need to become the right woman. That's my only concern in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this transition. I'm concerned with following God. And she had a defining moment in her faith with God. Have you had that moment before? Have you had a moment in your life where, where you drew a line in the sand, you said, you know what, God, you're going to be my God, and, I, and I'm not turning back? Like, like do you know with, with 100% confidence and integrity that you know Christ? Listen, God, he invented romance it's his ideal, and he wants you to have a right relationship with, with somebody and find Mr. or Mrs. Right, but he wants you to know him, and you can't have romance the way you were designed to have until you first have God the way that you were designed to have, that he wants you to be in a right relationship with him. And so we find that, that Ruth, she's in this time of trial and transitions, and oftentimes these are the moments in which God gets a hold of our attention, Right? C.S. Lewis, he says that God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. And some of you, you need to hear that tonight. Man, you've come in here and you're in, a, you're in a trial or you're in a transition. And it's oftentimes in these moments when our life is a little bit disheveled that, that we're trying to figure out where is my foundation and who am I really and, and what, is, what is life, you know? And maybe some of you have come in here and your heart's broke. Man, I'm sorry, I really am. But, but maybe God is trying to grab a hold of you. It says in the scripture that he draws near to the brokenhearted. Some of you are here and you're in a transition that life didn't turn out the way you thought it would and, and some plans that you had in your mind by the time I'm 28 that I'm going to be here and, and now you're 28 and you're not there, you know, and you're in somewhat of a quarter life crisis and you're like, man, God, what are you doing? And maybe that's why you're here tonight. Listen, God has you right where he has you on purpose and he wants to do something and maybe he's trying to do a new work in your life. That it's in trials and transitions that oftentimes God is jolting us to turn to him. But we hear this, right, like uh, maybe, you, maybe you've been through a breakup or you talk to one of your friends that's in a breakup or maybe you've been in a transition and somebody's like, yeah, I'm just moving back to Kansas City. And, and they'll say things like, you know, I just need to focus on myself. You know, I, I, just, I don't need any relationships. I just need some me time. I need to focus on me. You know what I'm saying? Y'all heard that before. And, and listen, that, that makes sense. Like I get that logic, but it's just bad. It's bad logic. Like you, you need to focus on you and you were the thing that led you to the thing that you were in and so you just need to focus more on you to try to help you get out of the thing that got you in there, right? Like no, no, you need to focus on God. You need to be God's man. You need to be God's woman. And he wants you to turn to him. And so if you've never turned to Christ, here's what that looks like. It, it, it's real simple. You, you recognize that you need Christ. All you need is need. And you come to him and you say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I desperately need you to save me. Will you please move into my life and save me? And you confess him as Lord. You believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And you declare him as your Lord and you begin to follow him that my God will be the God of the Bible. My God will be Jesus. And you become the right person. And that God is far more concerned with you being right with him before you ever find Mr. or Mrs. Right. Do you know Christ? 
I think a lot of us come here tonight and, and, and like, just, like just being real. Like we're looking, a lot of us are looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right. And oftentimes we're doing that without first getting right with God because we have this right person myth, you know. Like there's a person out there. Like we got that, we got that you complete me theology, you know what I'm saying? Jerry Maguire, we saw that back in the day or a rerun of that. We think that Noah is a real person. He exists and he's writing a notebook to us somewhere, right? You know, and, and we, we have all of these ideas that come from our cultures, the songs that we listen to and, and we, we, we live, Mariah Carey's, all I want for Christmas is him or her, you know, we have this mentality. But listen, let me just be honest with you, not to burst your bubble, but men make terrible gods, ladies. And if you're leaning upon a man to be your everything, he's going to collapse, all right? But he's strong. My man is strong. He is strong. He is like Gaston. No, he's going to crush, all right? Guys, ladies make terrible gods. There's no woman that is going to satisfy every little crevice and fantasy that is in your heart. And if you lean on her to, to give you what only God can give you, you're going to crush her. And you're going to be in a marriage that is going to collapse someday. Because you're placing expectation on someone and they will never give that to you. Only God can give that to you. And so Mariah Carey said, all I want for Christmas is you. But God is saying, all I want for you is Christmas. Because Christmas is the declaration that God became man, that Jesus walked this earth and he came on a rescue mission. And that's what God wants for every single one of us. And listen, if you don't become the right person my fear is that you will set yourself up for disappointment forever. So Ruth, um, she, she follows God and she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem. And they travel from Moab to Bethlehem. And, and, and they get there and Ruth's like, man, I'm getting kind of hungry. I need to go find something to eat. So back in the day, they didn't have soup kitchens or they didn't have food pantries like the one that we have out behind our church that, that gives away a lot of food every year. And, and so what they did is they went to, uh, they went to these, these fields where people were kind of harvesting uh, the, the crops. So imagine you drove by a cornfield out in Kansas and you just rolled out there and like you found a few extra ears of corn, right? You just threw them in the, the trunk of your car and, and because you didn't have money to go buy corn and you didn't have your own field. This is kind of the idea. So Ruth goes out to this field and she just starts picking up the scraps that are left over in the field. And this is kind of what they did back in the day. They left the margins of their field for the marginalized. All right, so she goes out there, she starts collecting and, and she finds herself in this field for, uh, of a guy named Boaz. And Boaz is a very critical player in the story. And so she's out there working, and Boaz, he rolls up on his horse or whatever, his camel, you know, he's got like a you know, 350 or something, jacked up camel, something like that. Anyway, and so he rolls out there, and, and he's like, hey, what's up? And he greets all of his people, and then he goes to like one of his foremen, he's like, hey, who's that girl? And the foreman's like, oh, well, we, we met her earlier. She's, she's actually from Moab. Her name is Ruth. But man, she's got a crazy story, Boaz. She's amazing, you know. And so he begins to tell Boaz about Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and how she's a follower of God. And, and, and Boaz, he's like, man, I'm impressed. She's out there working hard. She's serving her family. And so he approaches Ruth, and here's what he says in Ruth 2, verse 12. He, he says, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. What he's saying is like, Ruth, you have surrendered your life to God. And, and listen, Ruth, look at me. Look at me. God always honors your faithfulness. He says, look, I'm going to take care of you. I, I, don't go to anybody else's field. You, you stay right here. We got plenty for you. 
And because of your loyalty to Naomi and to God ultimately, that, you, that you've come underneath the wings of God, I'm going to take care of you. And he celebrates our loyalty. And he goes on to say this in Ruth 2, 15. He says, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men. He said this, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. And let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. What he's saying is that you be generous to this woman. She collects, what the story tells us, she she collects an ephah of of barley, and that's two weeks worth of pay, of wages, excuse me. That in one day, she's paid two weeks. That Boaz, we see clearly that, man, he is this generous guy. Like, Ruth has met Mr. Costco, man. Like, she's out there, and she's getting samples. She's got the big buggy, and she is, like, getting hooked up. And she goes home, and she's fired up. She's got all of this barley, and she rolls up to Naomi, and they're just, like, party. And Naomi's like, let's go. Like, where did you get all this food? And, and, and like, who hooked you up? And she's like, I don't know, some guy named Boaz. And Naomi was like, like, this is in the moment where, like, like, like everything kind of slows down. There's like really, really sentimental music and Naomi starts fake crying, you know, like really bad on the Hallmark movie, you know, starts fake crying and, and like the dog looks up, you know, I mean, everything's just, and she says this in verse 20, she says, may the Lord bless him. She said, he, he is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. The man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers, or some of your translation says kinsman redeemers. Now, this is a big deal, y'all. So Naomi knows what Ruth doesn't know. So, you know, Ruth's like, girl, why are you crying? Like, we should be celebrating right now. She's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, back in the day, a kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer was like the, the man that was eligible to restore all of the benefits that the family had lost because the men in their family had died. And so back in the day, you were, you were obligated to marry a widow if she was still of age so that, so that the, 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 there would be a son that would come to be able to redeem all of the things that were once lost. And so what Naomi is seeing is like, she is, she's like, okay, Ruth, you are an eligible bachelorette. Boaz, he is an eligible bachelor. And, and you two guys, like, like this could be a match made in heaven. And, and she begins to see that, that these two people are the right people Finding the right people. Point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Finding the right person. Finding the right person. Man, half the battle in finding the right romance is being the right man or woman. The other half of the battle is finding the right man or the woman, all right? And so when it comes to your relationships and your romantic life, like you've got to put your crosshairs on the things that matter to God And Boaz and Ruth, they are displaying the qualities that we all need to seek and that we all need to embody. And so Ruth, let's start off with her. It's like she gives vision for for women throughout history. Now I know this is written a long time ago, like a thousand years before Jesus came, all right? This is an old writing, but there are some things that Ruth embodies that that women, you should embody. There are some things that Ruth embodies that men, you should seek after. that, That Ruth, she's like Mrs. Wright in this story. And the things that make her Mrs. Wright Notice, or things like this, she seeks God. Remember, she's underneath the wings of God. That that God will be my God. That that she serves her family. She sacrifices. That that she she works hard. She's not a damsel in distress in some tower waiting on a man to come rescue her, all right? 
She goes out and she makes plays. She makes it happen. And she honors and respects godly men. And we see that Ruth is the type of woman for, for, to inform the way women should operate within history. And so Boaz, he, he hears a Ruth's story and, and like there's this, there's this draw to her that he wants to give to her and help her out once he hears her story. I wonder, ladies, when men hear your story, like, like does your story, does it attract godly men? Like when we're out here, maybe late night last week, you know, flannels, friends, you photo boothing and, and line dance, whatever else is happening last week, you know. And, and there, there are like two groups of people, you know, like we used to do in middle school, but we still do with young adults. Anyway, there are two groups of people and you're kind of like, man, who's that, you know? And somebody in your group knows somebody in that group. And so you ask, like, do you know who that person is? And they begin to tell the story. Does your story, ladies, does it attract godly men? So, man, I was nervous that, that day um, when Chelsea had that conversation with me because Chelsea was the right type of person. You know, like I, I'd been praying five things for, for God to bring to me and a wife. The first thing was that she loved God, and it was obvious. Like, like I didn't have to, like, pull, like, do you love God? Mm, no, it was like it was oozing out of her, right? I didn't, have to, I didn't have to force anything. It was like, I love God, so what? You know, she's like, yeah, that's who I am. She loved the Word of God. She loved to connect with the Word. I was like, if you want to marry a preacher, you don't like to have to listen to preaching, all right? And we love to talk about these sort of things. She, I, I prayed that, God, you would bring a woman that, that loves the church, that, that she loves ministry, loves to serve. I, I prayed, God, you would bring a woman that's fine, all right? I know that's shallow, okay? But it's okay to pray for that, all right? And she's beautiful, you know? And then I prayed, God, would you bring a woman that would love me more than any other man? And Chelsea, she, she displayed those characteristics, so I was like, oh, man, this is the right type of woman. This is the type of woman I should be pursuing. And so I was, I was nervous because I didn't want to mess it up, y'all. And so I didn't know exactly what to do. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that you need to find the right type of person. And Ruth, she's, she's not defined by her past, y'all. Uh, she's not defined by her pain. She was a widow. She knew what it was like to lose. She wasn't de defined by her family of origin. She was a Moabite, a foreigner. But she wasn't defined by any of those things. Ruth was defined by being under the wings of God, that her beauty flowed from her relationship with God. Where does your beauty come from, ladies? She is Mrs. Wright. Now, now Boaz, he represents Mr. Wright. And Boaz, first of all, come on, man, that's a strong name, right? Like, what's your name? Bo, you know? That's short for Boaz, you know, I, mean, I just love it, right? And so Boaz, he's an amazing guy, and his name, like such a strong name, but his name literally means strength is within him, right? Uh, Solomon, he built this big temple, and, and he put these things out there. We know them as pillars. They called him Boaz, all right? What's your name? My nickname's Pillar, you know? Call me Hammer for short, you know? I mean, he's just, but notice that, that though Boaz's name means strength from within, we don't hear anything about his bench press, He's not lugging around a, a 12 point that he just shot. We don't really know what his kill count was on Call of Duty that just came out. <laughs> but his strength is within, notice, because he's strong in the things that matter to God. Some of us have a vision of masculinity that, that is not the same vision that God has. And you think that you got bravado or you got a fast car or you got some money that that makes you a man. That's not what makes you a man. What makes you a man is what made Boaz strong, that he sought God. You seek God, men. Not do you have a Bible, but do you seek God? 
In conversations, do people have to pull information about God out of, out of you or do you offer it freely? Words are a window to what's important in our heart. And when you seek God, you love God, you talk about him. And Boaz, he seeks God. Not only does he seek God, he works hard. You know, this is a man, he's a leader, y'all. He's got his estate in order. He, he's, got his, he's got things, in, and some of y'all want to get married, but you got more, more month than you do money. And you think that you're ready to get married? No, you need to get out of debt. You need to get your bills under control, and you need to get to the place where you have more money than you do month, all right? And then you'll be ready to take care of somebody. But until you get to that place, you're just a boy that can shave. And you need to start working your way towards being a man. And the man seeks God, and he works hard. The next thing that we see Boaz does is that he's strong because he's kind. He's kind. Uh, Naomi, she recognizes the kindness of Boaz in verse 20. She says, he's showing his kindness. Men, are you kind? Do you treat people with dignity and respect? Proverbs 19.22 says, What is desirable in a man is his kindness. Are you kind? When you say something sharp or sarcastic, do you apologize? When you see people, do you help them out? Do you serve Boaz, he's, he seeks God, he works hard, he's kind, and, and we also see that he's generous. <laughs> I, I love this, that, that what's strong about a man, if you want to be a man of God, you, you're generous. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, the generous will prosper. You want to be prosper, prosperous? Be generous. He says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That Boaz, he represents the type of man, men, that we need to be. And he represents the type of man, ladies, that you need to pursue that you need to seek to find the right person. So ladies, like he may be handsome, he may be wealthy, he may be adventurous, but is he godly? Because if he is not godly, then don't waste your time. I don't mean does he carry a Bible, but is he serving people? Is he kind to people? Is he giving to his local church and giving to help advance the mission of God? Fellas, like she may be a Victoria's Secret Christmas angel, but all of that's gonna fall down someday, all right? And so you need to go after character. The scripture is clear that beauty is fleeting, but a woman that fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. Beauty fades, but character, it glistens over time. And so go for character more than curves, man. That you need to be after a virtuous woman. Physical attraction, guys, it's important, all right? It's not godly to marry somebody you're not attracted to, okay? Like, this is for the Lord. You know, despite the devil, we're getting married. It's like, oh, it's kind of weird, you know? Do you like your eyes at least? You know, I mean, so it's not, that doesn't make you more spiritual, okay? It's okay to be attracted, but it's character that counts. Proverbs 31.10, y'all have heard this before, I'm sure. A virtuous wife is more precious than rubies. And so listen, if you come in here and you're in a relationship with someone, but they don't fit the bill, um, you, you need to take a break. I don't know how else to say it. Have an awkward conversation, take a break. A lot of us, we think when we're in a relationship with somebody that like we're gonna be, the, we're gonna be God's agent to help them come closer to Christ, you know? I've gotta stay in here. I'm, I'm, I'm like a missionary in this dating relationship, right? But listen, you are not gonna be the agent that brings that person to Christ. More than likely, you're gonna be the distraction from that person experiencing growth in Christ. And if you don't believe that to be true, just take a break and see what God does. 
Boaz and Ruth, they, um, they're pursuing the right type of person in this romance. It, it continues, and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it, it, be, it begins to take on like, a, like an official Facebook status. And so we're about to see that, that one of the people in this relationship, they're about to make a move. And so what happens is that like she's been gleaning from this field and picking up food from this field, and she comes back to Naomi, and Naomi's like, all right, Ruth, it's time to make a move. It's time to move from the friend zone. And so in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi gives Ruth some advice. Now, do as I tell you, that's what she says to Ruth. She says, take a bath, because you stink, all right? Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then, here's what you need to do, Ruth. Go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. And then she goes on to say, if you read your Bibles, uh, and and so you're going to lay at his feet, right? (laughs) And so I don't don't really get that. That's, That's more descriptive. That's describing what's happening, not prescriptive, okay? And so ladies, let me just tell you what you can take from this. It's okay to dress nice, all right? And so if you want to go get some lipstick, if you want to get a nice dress, if you want to fix your hair, we, men, me likey, okay? We like that, all right? We like it when you look nice, okay? Not to say you always got to look nice. You be you, all right? You're beautiful just the way God made you, but you, you know, work what your mama got you, all right? And so you can, you can present yourself nice. We like that, okay? But you don't need to lay at our feet, all right? So don't try that one, okay? Like some of y'all, he said something about toes, mistletoes. I'm not real sure, but no, that's not what I'm saying, all right? But back in the day, some reason that was, that was good. Anyway, and so here's what it says in verse 8. Three verse eight. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and he turned over and he was surprised to find a woman lying there at his feet. Who are you? He said in verse nine. I'm your servant, Ruth. <laughs> she said, spread the corner of your covering over me because this is, you know, this is normal, right, ladies? For you are my family redeemer. What she's saying in some of your translations, she's saying to Boaz, cover me with your wings. Wings, we've already been introduced to this idea that wings is this image in the Bible for protection, for shelter, for refuge. And so she's, she's making her intentions clear. She's making a move. She's like, I'm tired of being in a friend zone. I'm tired of just kind of having meals with your guys, you know, after, you know, collecting some barley and that sort of thing. I'm ready to let you know my intentions. And then Boaz, his response is, bless you. You are so loyal he says, you're, you're a woman of character. And he says in verse 11, he says, I've got to do what's necessary for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. That's the same phrase from Proverbs 31.10. And so what he says is like, he says, Ruth, I am so grateful for the offer, but, but I've got to clear that it's okay if I pursue you with the person that, that has the, the rightful next, he's the rightful next in line. There's somebody else that's closer to Ken that really has the right to pursue you. And I've got to go, I've got to go eliminate confusion over here. And I've got to make sure that we pursue this relationship the right way. That even though Boaz, even though he likes Ruth, there's no doubt that he likes Ruth, he still is not going to compromise his conviction and he's going to be a man that does it right. Point number three, if you're taking notes, date the right way. Date the right way. Man, when it comes to dating, there's so much confusion, right? Should I swipe right? Should I get on Bumble? Should I, should I DM them? Should I talk to them? No, talk face to face. That'd be kind of weird. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, should I talk with them? Should I write a note, send it to somebody, and then they take it to them? What, what exactly should I do in dating? There's a lot of confusion, and even our modern approach to dating is, is really only about 120 years old if you look at the history of it. And, and, and so we, we're kind of living this, this experiment when it comes to relationships, 
And back in the day, there was some uh, different approaches, and what Ruth does is it's pretty bold, y'all. But what she's doing is something that we can pick up on and we can apply in our relationships today. What she's doing is she is fighting for clarity. Like if you're gonna make it in a dating relationship, you need clarity. Um, a few years ago, I was driving in my, my uh, car and, and there was a lot of ice on my windshield. And I thought, you know what, I could just make it. And so I was leaving early in the morning to go catch an early morning workout. And so I'm driving through my neighborhood, and I don't realize how far I'm drifting into the curb. And I run up on this, this uh, drain ditch, and I, and I bust out two of the tires on my car. Because I did not have clarity, I lost my direction, and it caused me heartache and money, all right? And I share that with you because that's a picture of a lot of you here tonight in your relationships or your relational history. That, that you're, you, you've got, you got ice on the windshield relationally, and you don't know where you're headed, but you need to fight for clarity, and that's what, that's what Ruth is doing here. And, and so you're going to need clarity in the initiation to start off with, okay? You need clarity in the initiation. So guys, let me just let me shoot you straight. This is sociologically proven. Uh, there's a study done about uh, seven years ago. It was pretty exhaustive, and here's what it found, that, that, um, that 12% of women prefer to be the ones that, that initiate in a relationship, 12%. And so what, what they concluded is, is that even in our modern day, uh, feminism and, and, and all, all kinds of things like that, like um, women still prefer for you to initiate. But ladies, let me just tell you this. It, it's not wrong. It's not wrong for, for you to initiate and make your intentions clear, okay? So uh, my story with Chelsea kind of proves this point to be true. I was a little bit of a coward in our relationship. Like, I, I was putting out all the vibes. You know, I was putting it out like, hey, we, uh, we were hanging out. I was calling her weekly, and I was inviting her to do things. But I never really had the courage to say, hey, I like you. Actually, I was trying to set her up with all my other friends because I'm like, this is an amazing girl. She's way out of my league, and you're a lot better looking than me, and so you should holler at her, right? And, and then I was like, I'm a, I, you know, and I thought I'm doing a good thing, but all the while, unbeknownst to me, she likes me. And so we have this conversation where we sit down. I remember it was like it was yesterday. I think it was like, like on Saturday of Thanksgiving week, and, and she's sitting on her parents' couch, and I'm over here on the love seat, and she just said, hey, Chad, we need to talk. I'm like, yeah, what's up? We need to talk. It's great. I like talking to you. You got big lips. Pretty. Anyway, I like talking to you. And so and, and we sit down, and, and she says, I need to know what we are. I like you. I think you like me, but I need to know, like, do you and what are we? And I was like, is it hot in here? You know? And I reached down and I picked my stomach up and put it back in place. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, like, I mean, and, 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 and I mean, you're, <laughs> and I'm in, and, you know, and I, and I think that sometimes we, you know, sometimes a little, you know, and, and so I just think that maybe we should end uh, just a little instant of time, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's one of those moments where I said a lot, but I didn't say anything, you know. And what she was doing is that she was fighting for clarity. And that's okay to do. And so we concluded that time with, hey, I really need to process the, this conversation and, and, and I will get back to you as soon as possible. And a few weeks passed by and I, I prayed and sought the Lord and I came to her and I said, Chelsea, I'd be a fool not to pursue a relationship with you. And when I think about who I've been praying for, like, like you're that woman. I, I didn't have to date her to recognize that she was the type of woman that I needed to be pursuing. I could discover that just by observing her, not in a romantic relationship. And I came to her and I said, man, I, I feel like, we, like if, you would, if you would be 
so kind to receive. I didn't say it like this. I was like, hey, girl, say. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be cool. Will you be my girlfriend? You know. <clears throat> and so, I, but I asked her, and we made it official, and I fought for clarity after she initiated. And you're going to need clarity in the initiation, but also you're going to need clarity in the process as well. 1 Corinthians 14, says that God is not a God of confusion. And listen, his people shouldn't be either. And so good leaders, we say this often, good leaders, they eliminate confusion and they lead with clarity. And so guys, let me give you a narrative to work with, okay? Here's the narrative. The narrative is this. After you go on a date or you have some time with her, hey, I had a really good time tonight. I really enjoy you. I like the way our relationship is headed. I'll call you soon or I'll text you soon. Not, hey, good time tonight, see you. And then let her go and just figure out, does he like me? Does he hate me? Are we going to get married? What are our kids going to be named? Or are we going to get divorced? Should we break up? Like she's, you know, she's in some, so lead with clarity along the way, right? Amen? And let them know, let one another know how you think things are going. And listen, there is one thing that we talk about often here. That when you introduce this one thing in your relationship, it is going to confuse the clarity in the relationship. This one thing is going to fog up the windshield in your relationship, and it's getting too physical. That when you introduce sexual activity into a relationship, it confuses your ability to determine relational compatibility. Listen, if you're a man... and, and she's a woman, you, you are sexually compatible, okay? God made you that way. It's going to work out, I promise. You don't have to worry, all right? You can figure that out in marriage. You need to determine, are you relationally compatible? And when you insert sexual promiscuity in that relationship, we know this to be true, right? It, it just confuses things, and you'll turn, love is blind, right? That's a statement because we turn a blind eye to character deficiencies and faults. And sex, it always sounds good. It always sounds fun. But, but listen, it's a lie. And so don't be singing, baby, it's cold outside to each other, right? That my sister may start getting suspicious, but your lips look delicious, right? And we start singing these songs, and we think, yes, that's a good idea, right? And, and we want to get into these relationships, and we want to get cozy, and we want to cuff, and, and we want to just make things all uh, just, just sweet, and underneath the Snuggie and the hot cocoa's flowing, and we want to let the, the romance be moving. But listen, that's going to be problematic. If you're a follower of Christ, what the Scripture calls for you is it says this, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, 1 Corinthians 6.20. I wonder, if you're in a relationship, is it pure? Do you have clarity and do you have purity? And my concern for you is this, man, this is the time of year, right? Uh, you go to the plaza, you get a carriage ride, you make plans, you know, and you're going to have peppermint mochas at the house or hot cocoa and and you're going to put whatever Hallmark movie is on, and there's going to be a fireplace going, Yule Log, you know, you got Christmas music playing, Bublé's in the background playing soft. And like everything is just, it's just so nice, and you just want to get cozy, but what's the line for you? Like what's your plan to keep things pure over the holidays? A lot of us, we want a line, right? Like, Chad, I need you to tell me that thou shalt not kiss, thou shalt not hold hands, thou shalt not whatever, Right? But listen, let me, let me just, I'm not going to give you a line. Here's, what I, here's the standard I give people that are dating or people that are in a relationship. If your body's preparing for sex, you need to relocate. If your body's preparing for sex, usually you know that, you need to relocate. 
so that you can be God's man and you can have a relationship and date the right way. Is your relationship pure? Do you have clarity? Do you know where the relationship is headed or are you just playing games? Listen, even when we play games, we want to have clarity around the rules. Boaz and Ruth, man, they're doing things right, are you? And so we find that they, they enter in this relationship and, and Boaz, what he does is he's got he's to make sure that everything's going to go about right. And so he goes and talks to this other guy that's kind of the first in line to, to date Ruth and be married to her. And, and he says, hey, man, uh, Ruth, she's a Moabite. Do you want to marry her? And, and the guy's like, you know what? It's not worth the sacrifice. And so he takes off his sandal and gives it to Boaz. Kind of a weird gesture. But in the culture, what that means is that he's saying, hey, you have the opportunity. You have the authority. Go, go for it. And so Boaz comes back. He's like, I got the sandal. You know, Ruth's like, we got the sandal. You know, they're fired up. You know, will you marry me? sandal, you know, and so it's just this moment of excitement, and, and so Boaz, what he says in Ruth chapter 4, verse 9, he says, then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, that was her husband, Kilion, that was one of her sons, and Malon, that was her other son, and with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife, this way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in this hometown. And you were all my witnesses today. And in verse 13, it says, so Boaz, he took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. Notice where life comes from, comes from the Lord. And she gave birth to a son. Point number four, if you're taking notes and finally write this down, the right marriage, the right marriage. Listen, you, you don't want to get this wrong. In my line of work and in my experience growing up and a lot of yours experiences growing up, I mean, you experienced the heartache of divorce. And some of you are here tonight and you already know that heartache. And you can attest, you don't want to get this wrong. I've been to a lot of beautiful weddings, but, you know, and, I, and I've seen a lot of beautiful weddings, and, but I've also seen a lot of ugly marriages. And if you want to have a right marriage that God will honor and that he will bless, man, you, you've got to be the right person, pursuing the right person, dating the right way so that you can, you can find the right marriage. And listen, God wants you to have a love life that honors him. Like he, he wants you to, 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 to be the right man, to be the right woman and find that person and date right and, and get married so that you can accomplish what God wants you to accomplish if you so desire. And listen, if you're, not, if you're dating tonight, but you have no vision or, or no, no thought of getting married someday, what are you doing? You're just playing games. And it's time to grow up. We are grown-ups. And when we play games, people get hurt. Man, my relationship with Chelsea, like I was so nervous because, because like this was the type of woman and this was the, like, she was the woman that, that I was like, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry her. And so, like, I, I pursued this relationship, and, and everything moved along. She was, I was the right type of man. She was the right type of woman. We were pursuing one another in a way that honored God. And so, why, why not get married? Marriage is, is a right thing. And I didn't string her along and say, you know what, we should probably move in with each other and figure things out. And, and then, you know what, um, let's just delay this. And I want to get my master's first. And, and there's some other things that I want to do before I really settle down. And, and we entered in this decade-long dating relationship. No, no, we got married. And listen, it was an amazing decision. Was it hard? Yes. Was it worth it? Yes. 
So let me, let me just kind of bottom line it, guys. Like if you're here and, and you've been in a dating relationship and you know that this is the woman that, you're, that you want to commit your life to, here, here's what you need to do. You need to go talk to her dad, get his blessing. Save up some money, buy a ring. You get down on one knee just like this, okay? It's really simple. And you say this question, will you marry me, okay? And you put a ring on that finger, you set a date, you plan a wedding, you get married, and then you love the choice that you married through thick and through thin, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, until death do you part. And let us have strong relationships, paradigm, and let us have romances that bring glory to God. Man, I love this story. I love the story because it, it has lots of highs and lows, and it ends with this happy ending, and you know, it starts with tragedy and death, but it finishes with joy and birth, and it starts with this helpless situation, but it, but it ends with a hopeful declaration. Like in Ruth, God brings life out of tragedy through the birth of this, this, this son that they call Obed. And, and, and this, this son, Obed, he is born to Ruth and Boaz in a town called Bethlehem. And Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And so Ruth and Boaz are the grandparents of the great King David. If you don't know much about the Bible, David is like, he's one of the MVPs of the Old Testament. And so their marriage led to the birth, ultimately, of David, who is also the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ, that in Ruth, God is setting the stage. He's setting the Bethlehem stage for another birth of the greater king, of the greater Boaz that would come and be the shepherd of the nation of Israel and of the world, and his name is Jesus Christ, that Boaz, he redeemed a broken situation through his kindness and his generosity, but Jesus is a greater Boaz, and he is a greater redeemer, and he has redeemed mankind through his kindness and his generosity. Then in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that the, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And the scarlet thread that hymns the story of Ruth and Boaz to the story of Jesus Christ is quite amazing. That God uses this no-name couple from the outskirts of the world to introduce to the world the Savior. And so we come here to this time of the year, it's Christmas, and we celebrate the birth of Christ, that he's come on a rescue mission, that there was this, this anticipation of a baby to be born. And he's born in Bethlehem to this young couple, and he, and he grows to live the life that you and I could never live, to die the death that we deserve, and to show his power to raise from the grave. And that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of this newborn king. I wonder, can you do that with integrity? Or is Christmas just about hot chocolate, cuffing up with somebody, carriage rides, Santa Claus, the Grinch, and some religious activities? Or is it about the hopeless anticipation and the appreciation of what Christ has done on behalf of mankind? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would inform the way that we do relationships. God, I pray for wisdom for my friends. God, I ask that you would help them become your man. You would help them become your woman. If they don't know you, they'd start tonight. God, I pray that you would give them favor, that they would be able to cross paths. I think so much just for the couples that have, that have been formed out of, out of paradigm and 
you had men and women fall in love with you and then cross paths and pursue one another in a way that honors you and that we see people get married. God, I pray for my friends that um, just in a, in a hard time, God, I just ask that you give them forgiveness, you give them the ability to have uncomfortable conversations and that they would understand that no sacrifice is too great to be obedient to you. And God, I pray that you would build strong families and build a legacy that would echo in eternity, much like the legacy of this couple that we read about tonight. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus.